It's important to understand that IT is part of the business. And when you start changing the language of IT, you really start changing the relationships that you have with others too. Technology is transforming how we think, how we lead, and how we win. From InterVision, this is Status Go, the show helping IT leaders move beyond the status quo, master their craft, and propel their IT vision. Welcome to Status Go. I'm your host, Jeff Tunn. Social is a word that seems to be in conflict with the stereotype of an information technology professional. We are typically viewed as introverted, hiding in the back room, coming out for pizza, maybe some beer. Add the word media to it, and it becomes even more frightening to many of us. Social media. That's something for marketing to worry about. It isn't really IT. Today's guest is the antithesis of that stereotype. Tim Crawford, CIO and strategic advisor at Avoa, is ranked as one of the top 100 most influential chief information officers. He comes in at number four. He's also listed in the top 100 most social CIOs at number seven. Top 20 people most retweeted by IT leaders at number five and top 100 cloud experts and influencers. Welcome to the show, Tim. Thanks a lot, Jeff. Boy, that guy sounds pretty awesome. I'd love to meet him sometime. <laughs> yeah, me too. Me too. That's why I'm so excited to have you on this show today. Uh, <laughs> I've actually been a, a follower of yours or stalker on Twitter for a number of years. As a former CIO, I always aspired to be on Vala's most social CIO list and never quite made it. But you've embraced social media as a CIO and a strategic leader. Why have you been so involved in social media? Yeah, that's right. And I think this is an important question to ask and a great way to start the conversation. You know, when you think about social media and what it brings to the table, it really opens up an opportunity for sharing of ideas to a broader audience. So it allows you to get out to people that you might not otherwise engage with or interact with. But it also does something that I think is incredibly important, something I've looked for in my organizations as an IT leader, um, and something that I encourage others to do too, which is you really want to bring together that diversity in thought. And I think social media yeah. really does that in opening up the opportunity. Yeah, that is a great point to uh, listen to what other people are talking about, what they're writing about, what they're reading. I love it when uh, someone such as yourself or a Paul Chapman or some of those others that share this is an article I read today and it really resonated with me. That is so valuable to kind of get inside your mind. As you've been doing this now for a number of years, where do you see the value to you personally for being involved in this and to the organizations in which you've been a leader? Well, I think there are, there are a couple things to think about there. One is it really makes you think. When you put something out there in the public eye, and I've said this about teaching, I had the opportunity to teach a couple of programs years and years ago for one of the University of California system uh, campuses. And I've often said that if you really want to know what you don't know, teach. <laughs> and so if you think about it for a minute, 
you're putting this out on an even broader audience or to a broader audience that is going to challenge some of your thinking. And I think that's a good thing. If you have an open mind, I think that's really a good thing. And so it makes you think. It also brings up new ideas, different ways of thinking, different approaches, which just makes it better. You know, rip it apart, put it back together better. But the thing that I find most interesting out of all of this is the intellectual stimulation. And that's something I have always craved, both personally and professionally. And social media really brings that to the forefront. So when you first got involved in social media, I imagine it was new uh, because you've been involved in it for many years. What were you hoping to accomplish? Did you go into it looking for that intellectual stimulation or did you have another driver or drivers? It was more of a curiosity. So I came into computing back in the bulletin board system days. So that kind of dates myself a little bit. And (laughs) You know, in BBS systems, you were doing a lot of sharing, you were chatting with folks, um, and I saw social media is kind of a way to do that. When I first started, I didn't really have any uh, preconceived notions of what I wanted to get out of it or a specific goal. Today, that's very different, uh, and I think it's also evolved over time, too, meaning what I'm looking for from social media has changed, and that's one of the reasons why I'm also not your typical social media um, person in the sense that if you look at my ratio of number of people I follow to number of people who follow me, it's a pretty stark contrast. I've not looked at that number. Uh, Shame on me. But when you say it's a stark contrast, you follow more people uh, than follow you or vice versa. Right. So there's one school of thought that says you should follow everyone that follows you. Um, And so you might have I don't know, 10,000 followers, and you might be following 10,000 people, which is okay. There's nothing wrong with that necessarily. The approach I take is I really get focused on the folks that I find most interesting that challenge me the best. Mm-hmm. And so because of that, I I think I'm somewhere around 17,000 or so followers. But in terms of the number of people I follow, it's always been below 500. Okay. And I kind of use this magical 500 number. There's no rhyme or reason to it. I think currently I'm below 400, but I'll go through and uh, curate the number of people that I follow or the specific people that I follow over time. And some people I'll follow for a period of time and then I'll step away. And then I might refollow them again down the road, depending on what I'm looking for and what I'm looking to get out of my interactions on social media. So how do you carve out time in your day to work on social media? Yeah, that's that's a tough one for me. Because I travel so much, um, I'm on an airplane almost every single week. I think in the first quarter I was on an airplane uh, somewhere between one and three trips every week, with the exception wow. of one week in the first quarter of this year. And what I find is that that's a great time for me just to hop on Wi-Fi, maybe chat a little bit. It's, you know, easy to do. And if the Wi-Fi is slow, who cares? <laughs> you know, yeah, it, yeah. it works. Um, but it is really hard to to carve out that time. And so you'll find that some days I might only have one tweet out there. Some days I may not tweet at all. Other days I'll be super active. The other thing that comes into it is not just my schedule, but is it a conversation that I'm really passionate about or want to know more about? 
And that's another significant driver and something that people should think about is that just because someone talks about something doesn't necessarily mean you have to engage with it. And so I think that's important to consider because, frankly, social media is great and social media is terrible. Social media has given everyone a voice, whether that's good or bad. (laughs) Right, right. So before we uh, went on the air, we were geeking out a little bit on uh, tools for podcasting. What are some of the tools you use to manage your social media presence beyond your podcast, which we'll talk about here in a minute? I'm actually more of a purist, um, and this might come as a surprise to some, but generally speaking, I'm quite the minimalist in terms of technology. I try and use the basics as much as possible. I try not to get overcomplicated. I just find that that just leads to more and more problems. And I saw this in the IT organization, too, that more complex things got, the more problems you ran into. Right. And so from a social media standpoint, I just use the native clients most of the time, um, you know, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and I'll use those on not just the web, but I'll also use them on my mobile devices, whether it's the phone or iPad. So you're, you're not really using anything to manage the Twitter streams, so to speak, like a Hootsuite or a TweetDeck or any of those types of tools. You just go right to Twitter itself. You know, I used to use TweetDeck pretty extensively, and when they stopped putting effort into advancing the platform, I stopped using it. Um, I have really struggled with this problem because TweetDeck was great. I loved it. Loved the way that I could see across multiple profiles, and it kept up to date. And I've tried using other tools, and every once in a while, if I'm at a conference, I might switch over and use something like TweetBot on a mobile device. But then those have quirks too. And because Twitter has changed the way that it allows third parties to access its stream, it leads to these kind of weird anomalies, whether it has to do with syncing or what you can and can't tweet or retweet or, or uh, interact with. And so ultimately I just come back to the basics, come back to the fundamental apps from each of the providers. Yeah. It's funny for, for me on my laptop, I, constantly use Hootsuite to kind of organize things. But on my mobile device, I'm just right in Twitter, looking at it from there, uh, responding, tweeting right from there. So it's it's kind of a mixed mode for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, it depends on uh, where I am and what I'm doing at the time. You know, there there's another piece to that too, which is I will use Buffer as a means to help share across different profiles. And so I have some automated routines kind of plugged into that. And I've tinkered with uh, if that, if this, then that, and other tools as well. And every once in a while, I'll tinker with those as time permits. But again, it comes back to time for me yeah, um, because it's just me. And, you know, there's, there's a lot of different ways that I could spend my time. So you are a CIO. Tell us more about Avoa, what you're doing there, what types of initiatives are on your plate? What are you working on these days? Yeah. I mean, Avoa is a is a company that I started um, several years back. And the whole idea behind it was to provide that more provocative but pragmatic view. And this kind of ties into the podcast, into my podcast, but taking that provocative but pragmatic view of the intersection of business and technology. And so 
Avoa is really a brand that brings together a number of different things for both buy-side customers and sell-side customers. So I work with clients that are both on the buy-side, so end-users, and those are typically executives, um, not necessarily the CIO, but it could be the CIO. And then on the sell-side, working with product groups and marketing groups and AR groups. And it comes in several different flavors, and there are five pillars that I focus on. One is content. No surprise there, I'm sure, to most. Um, Another is kind of this research component, you know, bringing together all of the different things that I read and I hear and I'm, I'm exposed to. But as a CIO, putting my bent on it from that customer perspective, and that's how I look at everything. I mean, everything I look at is from that customer perspective. And then, of course, I'm doing advisory work with both sides. And and that's really fun. And then the last piece that comes into it, aside from the podcast, which I'll leave to the side because we're going to talk about that. But the last piece is I also am pulled into different expert witness uh, projects, which is oh. fascinating in its own right. I bet it is. <laughs> I bet you could tell some stories about that. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, you know, even in that, I mean, I've had very interesting conversations, some of which I can't disclose, but I've had some interesting conversations where, and this ties into social media too, where I've been exposed to some of the back channel conversations that are happening around some of the news stories that are discussed on social media in the technology space. And it's amazing how far from the truth people are on social media. I mean, this is really where Uh, And it goes to a phrase that I keep repeating over and over again, which is opinion does not replace experience. And this is, I think, one of the downsides of social media is it gives everyone a voice, but it gives everyone a voice. Yeah. yeah. And so just because you have an opinion doesn't necessarily mean it's right. It's been interesting uh, being part of some of these projects, some of these uh, very significant projects that... I mean, these are the projects that I'm involved in from an expert witness standpoint are typically on the low end, several hundred million dollar projects. Yeah. On the high end, several billion dollar and tens of billions of dollars. So it, there's a lot at stake. Yeah. So this will be a little bit of a rabbit hole and then we'll come back. But I was I've been reading about uh, I think it's called Lexus Context and it's it's a database of expert witnesses and judges and their tendencies. And uh, it's marketed to attorneys and, and law firms to research and prepare for their cross, so to speak, their cross-examination of an expert witness. I just find that a fascinating use of technology, and I'm not sure where that'll end up going, but uh, I've been kind of following that for the last uh, probably six months or so. That's interesting from the standpoint of what it is and and who I think is behind it. I'm actually not familiar with Lexus Context, but it's I'm guessing it has to do with Lexus Nexus, which has yes, yes. long been a source for case law and uh, and whatnot in the legal space for shoot decades. Oh yeah, absolutely. But absolutely. what what you often find, especially in the expert witness space, is that there are matchmakers. So folks that will connect experts with different law firms. And then there are folks that are research firms 
that they do a lot of project work on behalf of the attorneys, on behalf of the law firm, and they curate a list of experts. So they have a pretty good idea of not just who these people are, but and not just what their context is, but also how they behave. And this is an important piece, especially in this expert witness space, is that you can't have someone that starts in on a project, provides an expert report, and then says, you know, this just really isn't interesting. I'm going to step off. Yeah. Um, because they would just tank the case, absolutely tank the case. And uh, you have to know that they are able to handle themselves appropriately under fire. I mean, I've been in depositions that, frankly, were brutal, absolutely brutal. And I would say most people would absolutely cave under the kinds of questions and the um, the attacks that you get from attorneys. But you've got to be you've got to be able to to kind of operate at that level. And frankly, you got to know your stuff too. Yeah, yeah. If you ever want a great irreverent legal podcast, uh, you should listen to Speaking Like a Lawyer. Those guys are. Uh, pretty funny and uh, really spot on and some things that are going on in, in uh, case law. And that's where I learned about the Lexus context. But so l- let's get back on our track here. And uh, thank you for allowing me to go down that rabbit hole a little bit. <laughs> let's talk about transformation. Part of what we try to focus on here on Status Go is enabling the IT leader to help drive that transformation within their organization, breaking through the status quo, as you probably saw in the materials. But what do you think is missing from uh, many companies as they start down this, this path of transformation? I think there are a couple of things that are missing. And I'm looking across a myriad of different industries, a myriad of different executive conversations that I have both with CIOs as well as those outside of the CIOs organization. And there are a number of things that are missing. One is this focus on technology. Transformation should not be about technology as the starting point. Technology is a tool. Technology is an incredibly powerful tool, but at the end of the day, it's still just a tool. It's important that we understand the right context in which we're talking about transformation. So why? And that's an important question to ask. Why are we transforming? Well, we're transforming to go faster. Why? Why Why? is that important? You know, I mean, if you keep asking, you know, it's that old adage, right? Ask why three times and you'll finally get to the root of the issue. But if you really jump into understanding the why, you get back to a business reason, a business objective that should be driving all transformation. And what I mean by that is that there are generally three things that executive teams kind of focus on. I mean, there's a risk component, of course, and cyber kind of falls underneath that. But I call it the turn-in concept. And the turning in concept really kind of drives into three components, revenue growth, customer engagement, and operational efficiency. And if you can tie transformation back to one of those three pieces, mm-hmm. you can pretty much cover any base, which is great. It provides a very clear direction. But that business context is by far the first thing you should be thinking about before you start talking about what you're going to do for technology transformation. 
I think that leads us right into your podcast because that's part of what I've gotten out of listening to some of the guests that you've interviewed is that business first approach and that business context. So your podcast, CIO in the know, for our listeners out there, that should be your second favorite podcast behind Status Go. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> it's uh, it's actually a great podcast, and uh, some of the guests that you've had on there have been tremendous. How, how long have you been hosting that now? How many episodes do you have out there? So it's a relatively new podcast. Um, it just started earlier this year. February 4th was the launch, and kind of the story behind it tells a little bit about how I got to this point. Um, this is something that's been in the works for quite a while, something that other CIOs have reached out to me and they said, hey, you know, you should really take some of these conversations that you have privately or amongst groups and you should get them out to a broader audience. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I just don't have the time to look into it, right? Mm -hmm. And so last year, I finally kind of got off the dime last fall and, and said, okay, I'm going to do it. And I reached out to a number of CIOs that are both colleagues and friends and said, okay, I'm going to do it. Here are all the different parameters, you know, length of episodes, uh, types of guests, conversations, audio, video, format, you know, all the different permutations that you think about when you're putting together some sort of package, some sort of media package. And so ultimately I came back to what is the formula for the CIO and the no CIO ITK. Mm -hmm. I even asked folks, you know, about the name, you know, what, what, uh, would be interesting. Should we talk about transformation? And, oh my gosh, I had a visceral reaction from a number of CIOs. No, don't call it transformation, anything. <laughs> but, um, ultimately I set a goal for myself. So it was end of last year, end of 2018. And I said, okay, Q1, Q1 is going to be my goal. By the end of Q1, I want to have Half a dozen episodes queued up before I actually launch, and I'll launch at the end of March. Well, I started reaching out to CIOs, and I had a list of, I don't know, 70, 75 CIOs. These are people that I personally know, um, not necessarily people that I knew of, but rather people that I had a good relationship with and people I've known for years. And so I started reaching out to CIOs and one right after the other. Oh my God, this is great. I want to do it. I want to do it. I want to do it. And I figured I'm going to have at least a couple that'll come back and say, well, I got to run it through my comms group or yeah. I'm not sure. Yeah. Why don't we wait till you get off the ground and then come back to me? Not a single one to date has said no, not a single one. And so that has been an incredibly humbling experience. And because of that, I ended up having a number of episodes recorded and ultimately launched on February 4th. And so that was quite an uptick. It really took off. And so we've had weekly episodes since then. We're currently in a hiatus over the summer months, but I have a number of episodes already recorded, uh, ready to go here in short order, and even more on the docket. But we've actually gotten to the point now where I've had a number of other CIOs that I don't know hear about the podcast and reach out and ask, hey, can I be a guest on the podcast? So the organic growth is happening and the organic interest in being guests from other CIOs that I am not familiar with has already started. And so that's that's really great. And again, I'm just, 
I'm incredibly humbled. Um, but it's been a great experience and it's been a great ride. Well, it's a great testament to the relationship that you you had with these pure CIOs, that they've jumped at the chance to be on this new project with you. So that really goes to the point of the relationships that you build in your professional network and how they pay it back as you begin to grow and change in your profession and in your career. Yeah, that's right. I mean, the relationships are incredibly important and especially for CIOs. And that's one of the things that I counsel executives on is that you have to look beyond your core of what you do and relationships mean everything. I mean, at the end of the day, let's be honest, if my relationships and my um, the way people looked at me was negative, I'd be dead in this industry. And yeah. so it's incredibly important that you think about your brand, you think about who you are, you think about who you stand for, and you guard it passionately. And that's incredibly important. Absolutely. That network of your peers, it makes or breaks your career and what they think of you. And it, it is humbling when you have that kind of response. So when you think back over the guests that you've had thus far, what have you learned through the conversations? Because I think that's, for me, that's one of the reasons I love doing these podcasts is I learned so much from the conversation. So Tim, what have you learned through some of the conversations? In two words, a lot. <laughs> and I, you know, it's important to understand that, again, I'm incredibly uh, gracious and humbled by the fact I've had the opportunity to be exposed to a lot of different people and a lot of different leaders and leadership styles and cultures and organizations over the years, and probably more than what most people would be exposed to. And so I've seen a lot. And that's offered some incredible insights. But when we get into the podcast and we have some of these conversations, and we haven't even really kind of scratched the surface on the provocative end of the conversation yet, but that's coming in upcoming episodes, it gets really interesting because we start talking about the elephant in the room, or elephants in some cases. We start talking about what's really on people's minds, not just what they say publicly, but what is it that really concerns them? And it's interesting because I can start to get some of these folks to talk about it publicly of what the challenges are. You know, Patty Hatter, who was my first guest mm -hmm. on the podcast, she was the former CIO for McAfee and uh, has been a board member for a few publicly traded companies. And, you know, Patty talks about how board members are not technology folks. They're not well-versed in technology. In some cases, they might even be concerned about it because they know they got to do something with it, but you know, there's this huge gap, but that's not their background. On the other hand, I hear other conversations of folks, um, IT leaders, and the way that they approach boards. And so trying to bring these two groups together for, and this is just one of many examples, but bring these two conversations together and try and make sense of it and help people progress as part of it has been an incredibly enlightening journey. And that's just one of many threads that have come up on the podcast so far. So any surprises, anything that you, that uh, you weren't expecting to come out of this experience? Well, I mean, aside from the fact that I've had just 
phenomenal responses from CIOs that want to participate and prominent CIOs. You know, you mentioned Paul Chapman, the CIO at Box, and Paul and I have known each other for years, or uh, Sheila Jordan, the CIO at Symantec, and Sheila talked about her book. Um, I think the thing that's really interesting that has been a bit of a surprise is how comfortable the CIOs that have been on the podcast are about talking about their personal views, because generally speaking, that's not something that CIOs historically are comfortable talking about. You know, it's their passion. It's something that they're passionate about or something that they're concerned about. And so that has been very surprising. And I hope that we can get into it more because the more we can get this conversation out there, the better off we all are. I mean, it's you could could really kind of take it to the extreme and say, okay, it's a therapy session for CIOs. But (laughs) and maybe maybe that's a little bit true. Um, I have a number of CIOs that I didn't come up with this phrase. They came up with it. But when they introduced me, they introduced me as the CIO whisperer. Yeah. I, yeah. I'm not sure what exactly that should mean. But uh, <laughs> as soon as I uh, get called the CIO therapist, I think that's when I step off and yeah. <laughs> do yeah. something else. Yeah. If they're looking for the couch, then it's time to move on. Yeah. <laughs> well, And that's one of the things that has struck me about listening to your show. It's almost like listening to a private conversation. Right. You get that feel that it's you and the other CIO having a conversation and you almost forget that the mic is on. Yeah. And that's been really, really fun to uh, to listen to. Um, you know, and, and to that point, Jeff, I mean, that's actually part of what drove this conversation. You know, a good friend of mine, Mark Teeley, he and I would get together for lunch. And this was years ago when we both lived in the Bay Area and he was dropping his daughter off at school. She's now older, has gone through uh, college. I mean, she. this goes back several years, but we would sit down and there was a specialties in Mountain View that we would meet at quite frequently for lunch. And we would sit there and have a conversation. And afterwards, we both would look at each other and go, oh my God, I wish we would have recorded this. This is gold. This is important conversation that needs to see a broader audience. Now, mind you, this was in the very early days of social media, so there wasn't a lot of that going on, but that was part of what drove this kind of let's be, let's have just a conversation. Let's lower the hurdle and it's just us chatting. It's great. It comes through so well. I really mean that sincerely. Thank you. It's, uh, it's definitely on my playlist every week when you have an episode come out. As you think about the guests that you've had, as you said, there's some of the heavy hitters in the industry and some of the real thought leaders, to use that phrase, what do you think they have that maybe other CIOs or IT leaders don't but could build on? Well, I think there are a couple of things. Um, Number one is they understand the value of relationships. You know, I talked a little bit about this in the in the earlier part of our discussion, but being able to build relationships with the rest of the C-suite, and I don't just mean walking down the hall and, hey, Bob, hi, Sally, you know, I mean, understanding what keeps those folks up at night. And I know that sounds very cliche, but it's incredibly important to have those relationships. And that relationship is what ultimately leads to trust. Because as a CIO, you have to make some pretty complicated and challenging decisions. And sometimes they may not be popular, but you need to have the relationships and trust in place so that people know 
you're not trying to work against them, but you're trying to work with them. And so relationships is incredibly important. The second thing is you have to understand how your business works. You have to understand the nature of your business as intimately as anyone on the executive team. And this is especially true for the CIO to understand that more so than maybe some of the other folks in the C-suite. And that's because you work across the organization. It's one of the few orgs that actually works across the entire company. So I often say that the CIO today needs to be a business leader first that happens to have responsibility for technology. And what I mean by that is they essentially need to be thinking like the CEO of their company. And let me be clear about that. What I'm not talking about is they need to be the CEO of technology because that's a whole different ball of wax and something I actually don't agree with. But rather, they need to be thinking like the CEO of the company and be in lockstep with the CEO of their company, even if they report to the COO or the CFO. And when they start thinking about the CEO of the company, they start thinking about what's important and what's not. But they also start understanding very intimately how the company makes money and how the company spends money. Mm-hmm. And more so than just simply an average shareholder or customer. You mentioned CEO of technology and that that's not something you agree with. Talk to me a little bit about that and what it, what you mean by that and the difference in the two. Yeah, so you know there there's this narrative that has been going around for a couple of years now where the CIO should be the CEO of technology. They should essentially treat the IT organization with its own P&L and yeah. as a services-based organization. Some of those pieces are true, but that's not what I would use as your north star because it starts to then work against the company because your objectives are to run a successful company, IT as a company, versus running the company as a successful company. And so when you get into those push and shove situations, you run into a discrepancy in where your priorities lie. And so aligning yourself with the CEO of your company should be your objective, not driving IT as the CEO of technology. I like that because if you go down that other path, it automatically creates a wall between you and the rest of the organization. And that that whole piece that we fight a lot in IT about um, IT versus the business. Uh, yeah. We are the business. That's right. Yeah. And that's yeah. that's part of it is that you've got to get to this point where you stop talking about us and them. You know, you hear folks talk about IT and the business. Mm-hmm. IT needs to be part of the business. Stop talking That's- about us and them. And yeah. so I've actually written some blog posts about this but and spoken quite a bit about it. But it's important to understand that IT is part of the business. And when you start changing the language of IT, you really start changing the relationships that you have with others too. Absolutely. The language is so important. Tim, as you as you think about our listeners, CIOs, senior IT leaders, what's the first step? What should they do differently tomorrow after listening to our conversation today? You know, there are a couple things that I think are incredibly important that I would broadly advise. One is open your mind to new ideas and new thoughts. You know, don't don't get stuck in a rut of this is the way we've always done things or accept that inertia is the way that that things are going to be done. Find ways to challenge that. Find ways to 
to do things differently. Um, what, you know, this is something that I think it was Sheila Jordan, the CIO at Symantec had mentioned in one of the episodes um, where she talked about how um, what got us here is not going to get us there. And that's incredibly important for IT leaders to consider. The other thing is, second is understand your business. You know, I mentioned this, understand how your company makes money and how it spends money. And what I mean by that is, if you're a retail clothing manufacturer, don't just think of it in terms of, okay, customers come into our stores, buy our products, buy it online. Understand all of the different ways that the customer interacts in terms of the customer journey and understand your entire supply chain from start to finish. For example, do you know the entire round trip from the time that a customer identifies a problem with a product to get it back through design, out to contract manufacturing, through your supply chain, distribution, and back in the hands of the customer? Do you know what that round trip time is? And do you know all the steps along the way? And if there is a crisis in China, and let's say you're doing manufacturing in China, do you know what other options you have? Or if there's a problem with one of your suppliers or um, shippers, do you know what your options are? I'm not saying that you have to, as a CIO, have to answer all of these questions yourself, but as a technology leader, and technology plays such a significant role in all of these pieces, you should at least understand, at a minimum, how it works, and then what levers need to be pulled and who you need to saddle up next to should there be these different critical issues that happen in your business. And then the third thing, and last that I'd say is form new relationships. Reach out, start to understand other folks, go to where they are. Don't ask them to come to you. Go to where they are. Go out in the factory, walk around the factory. Go out to the business units and understand how they work. Ask them to explain to you. Don't get defensive if they get ticked off and, and start complaining about IT. Take that in. Absorb it. But start forming new positive relationships. I'd say those are three key pieces that would be incredibly beneficial to any IT leader. Tim, that is great advice. And, and I have to tell you, thank you so much for accepting my random LinkedIn connection several weeks ago so that we could connect and do this podcast. I feel like I've gained a new person in my network. I think our listeners will feel like they've gained a new person in their network by listening to you and having you share your insights. It's been tremendously valuable. So thank you very much for your time. No, thank you, Jeff. And I appreciate the opportunity to be on your podcast and am looking forward to uh, hearing more. And, and again, this is like I'm saying, build new relationships. You reached out. We've been able to build a, a great relationship, and I'm looking forward to more. As am I. As am I. For our listeners out there, if you have a question or want to learn more, go to intervision.com. The show notes will provide links and contact information. I encourage you to subscribe to Tim's podcast, CIO in the Know. It will be incredibly valuable to you as you further your career. This is Jeff Tun for Tim Crawford. Thank you very much for listening. You've been listening to the Status Go podcast. You can subscribe on iTunes or get more information at intervision.com. If you'd like to contribute to the conversation, find Intervision on Facebook, LinkedIn, or Twitter. Thank you for listening. Until next time.